We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Arsenal announced Balogun's new contract just one day after Lacazette's shocking miss. Coincidence? You be the judge. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You bought me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, I have this sort of comical vision of uh, like 7 a.m. this morning, Arsenal trying to get Balogun's agent on the phone being like, we're ready to sit down. Just whatever you want, we'll give it to you. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. I'm not kidding, but I'm kidding. Look, I think this club knows when to release good news and briefing the press this morning that Balogun has signed a contract. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't make everything rosy, but it is kind of nice to wake up to a little good news and have that to mention. I doubt we'll get into that big time right now. And if you want the more emotional response to yesterday's performance, you can check it out on the Patreon, obviously, uh, where we'd love to have you, but if not, no big deal. And if you just like a lot of fun, we did a a pre-match live stream. We're going to start doing these. I think weekly it's two hours. We did hot takes we think we believe. We talked about next season and the summer transfer window and the run-in in the Premier League. So it's not just about the game. Um, Although I think we, we talked about the game a lot and said a lot of things that wound up being true. And I, I wish that I could have talked to Mikel Arteta about it before the game, but we'll get on to that. So just want to thank you for, for joining us for all this stuff. And, and by and large, I, I just hope you're doing great and we're happy to be here with you. And I'm happy to be joined by Tim, who you can find on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. No Paul today, but he wanted me to make sure that I told you that he thinks we were better than people are acting like, and the game was quite good. Um, No, hey, you know, it's important to get that out. I promised I'd get it out there for him, and now I have. Um, So real quick, 
Uh, I don't know if you've listened to the Arscast yet today, but uh, we did have to send them a cease and desist after they started talking about dentistry and oral hygiene and things like that. Uh, I had to defend Paz's honor with the toothpaste analogy. But to be fair, maybe between the two of our podcasts, we've got your your dental health covered, so that could be good. Um, All right. So I think this is a difficult game to discuss in some ways, because unlike the Liverpool game, where at least, and I realize I wasn't, uh, I wouldn't say there was unanimous agreement on this podcast, but I felt that, that was just a bad performance that you could discuss as saying we played badly against a good team. This is tricky because I definitely recognize the people that want to point to the big, big missed chances and say we should have won this game comfortably so there's not much to complain about. I don't see it that way, and we will try to hopefully, in a nuanced way, parse how you can how you can have those two things be true, that we did have the chances to win the game, and that also there were big mistakes made, not just by the players, but by the coach. So, Clive, let's start with this. This is one of those rare scenarios where I think conventional wisdom, just among fans and game watchers, Lewis Ambrose, who wrote a great uh, pre-match analysis, where everybody said, here's what to expect Slavia Prague to do, and they did it. They tried to press a bit. They had a very high line with inexperienced center backs and a goalkeeper that looked like you know, they plucked him out of a, the, the local pub. Um, but like everybody seemed to know what Slavia Prague was going to do. And I don't really feel that we picked a lineup that reflected an understanding of that and an ability to exploit it. So how do you square the lineup we picked with the challenge that was that we were confronting? Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't come to me first. I'm still broken hearted from, uh, from last night, and Timmy and Timmy's always he's always quite level until he till he's not. <laughs> Elliot, Elliot knows when you're weak. Uh, yeah, exactly. it's like it's like when I, I you felt know like how a tease a hot take out when you're scared. <laughs> he, he knows that I don't swear very often. I swore last night, and he thinking, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick the knife into him. So like, um, I can tease a hot take out of you yet. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so basically. Hey, look, I can't. This game has really torn me, <laughs> torn me to bits, right? And I think you can't change who you are and how you absorb a game and and what you walk away from a game with. And again, you know, me and Tim, really, we don't care much for lineups until they go badly wrong. <laughs> they go badly wrong. But actually, there are days when you do care about lineups, and when you're in the quarterfinals of a cup competition, you can read a lot into the lineup and. You can't help but notice your franchise player sitting on the bench. You know, you're thinking, well, you're trying to explain it to yourself. And then you think, well, maybe he hasn't been playing well. And then and then you look at the combinations of William and Lacazette. You're thinking, well, you know what? They, they're quite a sprinty team, hard-running team. I wouldn't call those two players hard runners. Then you add on top of that two young players coming back from injury and not playing for a couple of weeks. And you're just looking, you're thinking, oh, I hope this works out. And then as the game unfolds, you realize there's an opportunity in front of you. And you can't help but see it, you know. And then you look to the bench and you think, okay, we're okay. We just need to make changes. And, you know, you can look at, whenever we have a bad result, we look at two or three things. We look at the coach, we look at the players, we look at the board, we look at the executive we look at, but mainly we look at the coach or the players. That's where our heart goes to. On on this occasion, I feel that it's quite important that the coach is there to make the game easier for his players. He's picked a team. 
there's an opportunity to change the team to make the game easier for the players in the club. And I feel you need to grab the opportunity. I can't turn away from it. I know he missed chances. I may not feel the same if those balls hit the back of the net. Obviously, I wouldn't because it's results-driven. But the balls didn't hit the back of the net. You're in control. It's your job to maximise the performance of your team by making the changes to the player types that you had at your fingertips in a five-sub competition. Your job to recognise the game, see the game, and make the changes. And I focus more on that, Elliot, the reaction to what was in front of him, not just him, but his, his, his uh, assistant coaches as well. The reaction to what was in front of him, that's where I can't get my head away from that. Because in life, you'll pick a team that's not right, but it's your ability to react is what we pay you for. Your ability to react is why you're on the sideline of a, a top 12 club in the world. That's what you're there to do. And I felt and have felt almost since the day you come here, he's not great at that. Mm. But it really cost us. Well, yeah, I felt yeah. it cost us. Well, is, that, is that fair? I can't, I can't walk away from that emotion. I felt it no, cost and, us. No, and don't, you know, don't worry about that. Because I think we will get into the tension between saying it cost us and recognizing we had the chances to win the game. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. I think they can be explained together, and I want to try to do that. You made a really interesting point on in the Instant Reaction Pod, too, which is, you know, you look at Klopp, and he got it wrong against Madrid, and he changed it in 42 minutes and brought Tiago on. The, the decision to start Cato was wrong. Now, to be fair, you could say, well, they were getting battered and losing to Real Madrid, and we were at least holding our own and level for mo- most of that game against Slavia Prague. So it is a different situation, but the, the speed of the reaction is one that I think we're going to have to discuss because 77 minutes before the Pepe and Aubameyang switch, you know, that, that feels almost pointed to me, and we can maybe debate whether it was or not. Um you know, I think the other point you said, Clive, you generally don't care about lineups. I, I think there are two ways you can care about lineups. You can care about lineups in the sense of, oh, he didn't pick the guy I like. That's the stuff we have to grow up and get out of. But lineups also indicate styles. So yeah, I may not like Lacazette and Willian, but in this case, it's not, oh, he didn't pick the guys I like. In this case, I feel he picked a style that didn't fit the game. We were saying on the pre-match show, who's running in behind? Where are the runners in behind? Now, Saka was in behind time and time and time again. But, Tim, this gets to where the strategy was really bizarre. Lacazette, if you can go to whoscored.com and figure out their sometimes uh, recondite menu systems and uh, figure out how to pull up the touch maps, he was playing like a, like an 8 or even a 6 at times in this game. And if you pull up the touch maps of Smith, Rowe, and Willian, they almost lay right on top of each other. They were kind of switching. They were kind of standing on each other's toes at times. And they were not close to goal. I know Smith, Rowe did get in one or two times. But other than Saka, who was willing to attack that back line and get in, and to be fair, he did get in, he didn't have the support with him. And just the the distance between our players and the goal was was really striking to me. So, you know, how do you explain not just the selection of, of Willian and Lacazette? You can certainly get into that. But the way we were using, in particular, William and Smith Rowe together, because it was, it was a very strange system. And, you know, for a team that found a fragile way of playing that had delivered some good performances since Boxing Day, this felt again like another iteration that, that didn't quite click. Yeah, yeah. So maybe what, what would be more useful, because I don't feel like we need 
to um i feel like our listeners are intelligent and they understand all of the reasons why except you know, that guy and he knows who he is but yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah they know all the reasons why playing willian and lacazette in the same forward line is um that that's not motoring in behind um forward play so maybe it's um and, and i think so maybe it's more useful to try and explain what we think was supposed to happen. Um, so I think that Willian and Smithrow were meant to be close together on the left. And I think Lacazette and Saka were meant to be slightly closer together on the right. I think a couple of things happened. I, I think Lacazette didn't really get over there towards Saka. And um, I tweeted something in the first half, like we're getting Saka in behind time and time again. Lacazette has to get in the same fucking postcode as this guy mm. <laughs> because we keep playing him in behind. And, and to be fair, Lacazette himself played him in behind a few times. Rob Holding was playing him in behind. That's how big the gap was. And I don't mean that as a criticism of Rob Holding. That is not his job. But Rob Holding was finding Saka in that space. That means there was loads of it there because he was passing along the floor over like distances of 30, 40 yards to Saka. So there was loads of space there. And so I don't think Lacazette read that part of the game. And that's one of my frustrations with him is that I think he plays his game no matter what. No matter what we need him to do in the game, he goes he goes 40 yards from goal. He tries to connect things up, et cetera, et cetera. And he did some of that like pretty well. But that's not what we needed him to do on the night. So I think the plan was for Lacazette and Saka to get a little bit closer together. Um, you know, I, and I guess was it against West Brom? You know, we score that brilliant goal when it's Lacazette, Smith Rowe, and Saka all combining. I think that maybe um, Arteta had a little bit of that in mind. I do think also that Smith Rowe wasn't quite fit enough to do to cover the ground he usually covers because usually, mm. although he veers to the left, you do see him pop up over on the right as well. And I think that maybe he just didn't quite have the legs to do that this time and that's probably a situation we're going to have to manage because that that hip issue I mean has been going on for him for quite a long time really but we know it's flared up a bit in recent weeks and without Erdegaard we we have to play Smith-Rowe really um, well we don't have to play him on Sunday we should absolutely not play him on Sunday but we have to play him in these games while we don't have Erdegaard so I do think that perhaps there was I don't want to call it misfortune but I think a fitter Smith-Rowe might have might have linked that up a little bit more um, rather than kind of being over on the left um, with Willian I think I think Arteta wanted to keep one of the aspects that Erdegaard's really given us which is giving us a right hand side again um, as as it turns out, I think Bellerin and Saka linked up really nicely. Holding and Saka linked up really nicely. I'd have liked to have seen Lacazette do more of what he was doing against West Ham. And don't like, don't not do it at all. But don't worry so much about spinning with your back to goal from forty yards. Um, you know, try and get in the box a bit more and try and get on the end of some of these crosses that are coming in. Um, the problem is a high line is kryptonite to him for that. That you know what I'm you know yeah. what I mean? All yeah, yeah. he can do at that point, he's reduced to playing other people in because as we saw when he was played in, my goodness, that's a video he's not gonna want to watch again. But like, you know, he was out of puff by the time he got to the penalty area. That that's the problem with play, using him yeah. against a high line. He can be provider, but he can't he can't get in there. Get in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you look at Kane, for example, Kane does that and then he's in the box. Yeah. Right? He's he's got the kind of the agility and the athleticism to get there, even on a glass ankle. 
Lacazette, I don't know if he can't or won't, because he did against West Ham. We saw it. So why is he not doing it? Is he? We had them push back more, wouldn't you say, though? I mean, I think that's the yeah. difference. The amount of territory between the center backs and the penalty box was a lot smaller True. against West Ham. And, yeah. and we had Erdegaard in that game, so yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you don't really need He doesn't really have to drop Lacazette. in. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's what I mean. Like, he didn't have to do it in that game, it's so he point, didn't. Yeah. He stayed in the area. And that's, I, I mean, this isn't a direct analogue to the West Ham game, but we needed him to do, to lean more towards the West Ham Lacazette than this. And and I became, a bit, I, yeah, I became very frustrated with it. I, I do think William was selected. I think a lot of this was because Erdegaard was missing and he wanted a bit more technical security. I think one of the things with Arteta, he gets spooked quite easily. Um, so, you know, the team has made some mistakes playing out from the back recently and we started going long um, quite a bit more. And the team, um, you know, had no technical security against Liverpool because he picked three forwards and not enough creative presence. He got that mix wrong. So he went and made the opposite mistake in this game and he got the balance wrong again by prioritizing, prioritizing too many technical players. So I don't think the front three that finished the game should necessarily have started the game and I did see someone forgive me I can't remember who in the discord made this point to be fair which was yes we looked we looked better in attack with those three but at the same time we lost control of the game in terms of possession and it possibly contributed to us conceding so like I, I think but one of those players one of Aubameyang or Martinelli mm. preferably Aubameyang I think w would have just made a lot more sense Look, and this, I was pretty irate that Aubameyang didn't start, but I think not starting Pepe was the one that killed us. Because if we had someone to match on the left side what Saka was doing on the right side, I think it could have made all the difference. And the the fact of the matter is that Willian is a problem. Him playing is a problem. Whatever Arteta sees in him is a problem. I keep hearing this, he's a, a control, keep the ball possession player. He doesn't do that. That's a thing we've made up. This is a guy who, against Slavia Prague, had no dribbles, no shots from open play, no key passes, played 23 passes at 78%, three unsuccessful touches. That's what he did against Slavia Prague. And you contrast that with what Saka did, which admittedly had a bad miss, but the way he tormented them, what Pepe did in 13 minutes on the pitch, right? And the irony of the Aubameyang thing is you hear that Lacazette has to play because he's the only one who can do hold-up play. We have vastly overrated Lacazette's hold-up play to the point where we have him being basically peak Giroud and Aubameyang, you know, being like using our Shavin up front or something. And then Aubameyang comes on and does precisely the thing that we think only Lacazette could do. Now, I, again, Lacazette is better at that stuff than Aubameyang, but I think we've we've created a concept of the distance between those two that is not the reality. Um, but Clive, so, so this is where I want to square some things. So... They We created chances that could have won this game. Saka has a big chance. Lacazette has the the unfortunate ignominy of the, the chance that he blows. Aubameyang has one on his left foot. Of course, that was after the change was made. Um, there, there's a few chances to win the game there. Um, the interesting thing, I think, is that we didn't, we didn't create a high volume of them. So in the periods between the Saka chance and the Lacazette chance, and you know, a couple of the big chances we had, there were long stretches where we just... We'd get Sack in behind and he had no support or we we couldn't get our passing game going or Thomas Party, who was having a who knows what kind of day, was just passing it out in a touch for no reason, under no pressure. Um, so, so here's what I believe. 
let's say, let's let's do a little reductio ad absurdum here for a minute, right? Let's say instead of starting Lacazette and Willian, he started Sonogo and Park, okay? And we created exactly the same chances that we created last night. And I said, starting Sonogo and Park is wrong. He'd say, well, how can it be wrong? We created the chances to win, so it worked. The fact of the matter is, just because it did okay with those players, it's still fair to suggest that with the better players who suit the game more, you would have done even more, which I think is evident by the fact that when we got those players on, we immediately looked like we had more directness, more pace, and more threat. And I use the Bayern Munich example, and maybe it's a little unfair. Bayern Munich had 31 shots against PSG, so they have every right to say they didn't miss Lewandowski and Nabry. But they did miss them because they didn't take their chances, and they wound up losing 3-2. And I guarantee you if Lewandowski starts that game, they take a few more of those chances, and they probably don't lose the game. So is that fair, Clive, that you can say, yes, you can identify that we had the chances to win this game, but we could have been more dangerous and more effective if we had gotten it right. And had we done that, we may have had, we may have finished the chances or had the support for Saka when he was in behind or gotten in behind a couple extra times and put the game to bed. I think you've said this in the Instant Reaction Pod, and you've already touched on it a bit here, but it's what was available to us that, that we didn't take advantage of. There was a lot of green grass, and I, I can't explain why he didn't react sooner. Is that the frustration that with all the green grass that was there and seeing what was available to us, that he didn't react sooner, and why didn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to lose my mind when we don't learn lessons that have been taught to us before, or we don't recognize our players, or we don't recognize what's on offer. If you get to know me, that's the three things that really tease me off, right? And so simple things you can do on the, on, on the sideline. I'll just give you one thing that probably I've not heard anyone say yet. It's just a simple thing. Willian, quite a lazy player, comes to the ball, wants to just rat attack in the center of the pitch. Right? He doesn't really want to go to the corner flags. Smith Rowe, recently, last time I saw him have an MOM game against Spurs, was dashing down left-hand side in behind that fullback. Just tweak that a little bit, bring one inside, separate the two of them, and you get some direction down left-hand side. Smith Rowe just back in, simplify his game, make him a direct runner. <clears throat> Excuse me, his timing is really, really good. He knows when to go. We had a situation recently when we had Cedric playing left back and Maitland-Niles playing left back. It wasn't great, was it? Because Maitland-Niles his Arsenal career. And then suddenly we put Cedric left back and Pepe left. As soon as we saw it, we thought, that's what you need to do. When you've got a right-footed left back, make sure you've got a left-footed forward. Right? So we, we, we learned that lesson six weeks ago. Here we are again, and we find a way to repeat it. Not only that... We don't put Smith Rowe and Willow in the same square yard of the pitch. We don't separate them. So it's like, hold on. We're not reading the game. We're not reading our players. Forget the chances. Chances will be missed. We will miss chances. And if the ball goes in the back of it, we would feel slightly, not as maybe as upset as I feel right now. But you, I still feel you've got to know your players and what they're going to do. And when that selection was made... I said on the live stream, I said, um, two new players running to the ball. I think Phil Costa sort of came back and said, absolutely, Clive. And that was an hour before kickoff. We all know what's going to happen. We've had enough experience now of seeing these players. And you put the two together and you think, okay, you might want to control the game. Now, 
there's a different way to control the game. You control the game by territory, by moving people back, by unsetting them, by running through them. You don't always control the game by passing amongst yourselves on the halfway line and passing backwards to your defenders. And now we're back to pre-Christmas hours where we look fearful of passing forward because the passing options were not there, only one guy. So you create that penetration and then all of a sudden you give your midfielders something to hit. And it's no coincidence, in my opinion anyway, that our midfielders were struggling to find passing lanes and getting caught on the ball, particularly one in particular. Right, There was no centrality number 10 and there was enough runners for him to hit. And he kept holding it on, holding it and making bad decisions. So throughout the season, we have all seen this before. So when you come to the big game, get over yourself. Pick the players, learn from your mistakes, get over yourself. Make sure you've got the right people on the pitch to take advantage of what you think is going to happen. And if you get it wrong from the start, change it. No drama. Just change it. No drama at all. Just change it. You've got the players. You've got the squad. They're all meant to be with you, we hope. Change it. And I just feel, I know it's not over. I've got to say this again and again and again, but I cannot get away from the feeling that we misread our players, we misread the game, and we didn't make it easy for ourselves going forward. Yeah. I mean, look, you can you can have a night where it's just not your night in front of goal. And to some extent, that was true on you know in this game. But I think we should have been in front of goal a hell of a lot more. I couldn't help but watch this game, Tim, and think a good team wins this five nil. I mean, what what was mm. the score? Se- seven to, seven to two, seven to one against Slavia Prague in the Champions League all those years. Seven nil. Seven nil. We're a club that beat the beat Slavia Prague seven nil, and now we're one one at the Emirates. And I realize they're a different team. We're a different team. Football's moved on fine. But it's like I watched this game, Tim, and I think that the pain for me is I'm like. If we had the runners, if we had the right players out there, if we just attacked the threat that everyone said they brought, attacked the, the challenge everyone said we should we would be facing, that this could have been a big, big night and a tie over. And that's the the sense for me. It's it's not that we're out of this tie. I mean, we we we're not doing great in it, but not that we're out of it, but that it was a real missed opportunity. And their coach said they were terrible. So, you know, I mean, there's always the possibility that a different Slavia Prague turns up on their pitch, and and it's a much trickier tie at that point. You know, I think two things can be true. If you have that on the bingo card, cross it off. <laughs> it can be true that we did enough to win, but also true that we could have made it easier on ourselves by picking the better players better suited to this game. Tim, I just think, you know, I said this on the Instagram Action Pod, Arsene Wenger built a career just picking the good players. Sometimes they didn't deserve it. They let him down. He'd still pick them. They always started, you know? He just, he just always picked them. And... Mikel Arteta is getting into that murky territory of teaching a lot of lessons and believing in a lot of culture wars and talking a lot about soft factors and leaving some really good players on the bench. The Pepe thing is confusing to me because when he played with Cedric, those couple of starts when Tierney was out, you know, a couple months ago, he was excellent. Some of his best starts for us. And tonight, no, tonight, yes, last night, nope, 77 minutes. We're going to start William. Um, I want to talk a little bit about well, we'll get to Cedric and, and the goal that we concede and, and the mentality issue there because I think there's a big part of that. But l- let's talk a little bit about the manager's relationship with his players. I mean, look, you could say, well, Pepe and Aubameyang were benched because of their performance against Liverpool. Well, if that's the case, the whole 11 should have been benched. I, I think it is very unfair to put yeah. that performance on those players. Yep. It, you know, a lot... All right, so if you're not an American who follows American sports, this may ruffle your feathers a bit. 
But like in America, it's not that uncommon for executives at a club to tell a coach, you have to play X player, you can't play Y player. X player is an important part of our project. You have to play him. In fact, if you've ever seen the movie Moneyball, he brings in all these players, right? His Moneyball idea. And the coach who's kind of old school is like, well, I'm not playing those guys because they stink. I'm playing my, my shiny guys that I like. And basically he said to him, play the guys I'm telling you to play or you're fired. Now, I, again, I realize that's not how football works and a coach has to have some control. But at a, at a well-run club, I'm sorry, Tim, isn't there a point at which someone has to say to Arteta, we paid 72 million pounds for Pepe, he's 24 years old. We've got a guy in Martinelli who is a superstar in the making. We have Reese Nelson, if you want to use him, who's an academy kid that we, we would like to build into an asset. The William thing hasn't worked. Stop it. It hasn't worked. We have other options that are more important and more talented. Like at some point, doesn't someone have to step in and put an end to this? <laughs> yeah, and you know, I've said many, many times over the last few months, that's why I'd like a, a more experienced, um, like a more experienced presence on the coaching staff. Um, someone who's maybe got experience of making substitutions and, and things like that. Just that 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 voice of, of challenge, um, I think, which, uh, you know, I, I don't doubt someone like, like I don't doubt the quality of the coaches that are there, like uh, uh, Albert, what's his name, Stoivenberg, um, Steve Round. Like I don't doubt their quality as coaches, but um, I, I'd really like someone who's been a manager there um, at some level. Like e- even David Moyes has Alan Irvin and Stuart Pearce in his coaching staff, and they have both been managers, not brilliant ones, but they've, they've got experience of being at the sharp end and doing stuff like substitutions and, and, you know, just, just having that little bit of critical challenge, just having that little bit of experience, um, you know, someone who maybe gives him a look on 60 minutes and is like, come on, we both like, we can both see what's happening here. Don't let your pride get in the way of making the right change. Like you, you, you talked about earlier in the pod, right? Klopp bringing Cater off after 42 minutes. That's really significant because he could have waited for three minutes for half time, done it at half time, and nobody would have talked about it. Would have been a lot less chastening for Cater, the player. Nope. He could not wait three minutes. It was like, nope, this game is going down the toilet. I do not have three minutes to spare. So, yes, you're coming off in the 42nd minute. Yes, you're going to be written about. Um, sorry about that, but tough shit because mm-hmm. I've, I've like, we need to get a result here. We need to get a goal. So, it, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, I suspect. I don't know that there, that there really is a lack of, a lack of challenge there, and I just think. I just kind of feel like um, Arteta is is prioritizing or at least he's giving too much importance to things other than winning games. Um, we, we spoke, didn't we, before the game um, on WhatsApp, you know, about his, his kind of comments about passion and commitment and all of that. And I think Paul makes a fair point that actually he was he was kind of led down that garden path. But we talked about didn't we like just getting this kind of air that he's trying too hard to exude authority when and and you do need to do that as a leader but you only the only way you get authority is results like guardiola is not a great coach because he's an authoritarian he's an authoritarian because he's a great coach because players will do whatever he says by and large because they know you know, it's like, all right, if Pep Guardiola says something a bit prickly that pisses me off, all right, but I'll live with it because this guy will improve my career and he'll win me lo- and I'll win lots of trophies with him. 
that's how you get authority. Ferguson was not a successful manager because he was an authoritarian. He was able to be an authoritarian because he was a successful manager. That that's that's what comes first. And all the other stuff is not unimportant, but it's cerebral. And I I just I've had this feeling and, and it might have you know, it might have no relevance to last night. I might be reading too much into it to be fair. But I just had this feeling for a little while. It's like, look, just do the stuff that wins games and and gets results and then you'll get the players you will absolutely get the players and when you're doing that if a player steps out like like we talked after the Spurs game right he dropped to Bamiyang but Arsenal won mm. so kind of fine like you, you get to do that it it was a bit risky it really could have gone another way but you know you get to write the narrative there the problem is with that situation he said after the game you know oh we love Bamiyang and this is over and everything I don't get the impression it is. That's the problem. Like, he made his point, but I feel like he's trying to make it again and again and again. And it's the same with Willian. And, I mean, in fairness, Willian, like, he didn't play any part against Liverpool. He's probably more fitfully involved. But, yeah, I I, I feel like, and I can't say it for sure, because it might just be my biases, but I just feel like he's fallen back into this trap of thinking about things giving things too much credence other than let, let's go and get results. And and just to wrap this up, so uh, I, I again, I know I've been wrestling with this kind of I don't care if attackers are inefficient um, kind of thing as long as they end up scoring goals. I looked up some of the stats from the, the Bayern-PSG game. Not about Bayern, though, about PSG. Do you know what uh, Mbappe's pa- uh, pass completion was against Bayern? 50%. Yeah. <laughs> 50%. Much, yeah. Do you, do you know what Neymar's was? The 64 Couldn't have been much, yeah. Right? Mbappe got two goals, Neymar got two assists. That is what that is what you care about, right? Mm-hmm. And and obviously, and I, th- I, think, I think Arsenal, the thing is, the reason this is a problem for Arsenal as well is because we can't afford the attackers that can do both. We can't afford the Goldilocks attackers who are both technically secure and can score goals, right? So we have to kind of make choices where really what you can do is have lots of options in attack that do one or the other. And I think we have that. We have our technically secure attackers. We have our less technically secure attackers who have end product. So I actually think the squad is kind of in a half decent position in terms of what Arteta has available to him. But I think he just keeps getting the balance wrong. Yeah, I mean, look, you're not at City. If you can't make it work with our best players, our most talented players, our biggest investment players, you probably shouldn't be here. You know, Arsene Wenger didn't bench Alexis Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez came with warts. He gave the ball away. He didn't always play for the team. He was the best player in the Premier League, and he won us stuff. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang won you the FA Cup, Mikel Arteta. He did that. He missed some things against Benfica, but he dragged you through that tie at the death. He did that. I know he's not having the best season, but since you put him at center forward in your 4-3-2-1, his XG90 is right up there with the best in the league. Play your best players. Pepe's come on and been an absolute uh, uh, force of nature since Boxing Day when you've chosen to use him. Stop picking Willian. And this is what I worry about. There's certain things that managers do that sink their career at a club. When we lampoon Emery, what are some of the things you think about with Emery? Does Lucas Torreira, number 10, come to mind? Does dropping Aaron Ramsey for that critical run and then rushing him back from injury and getting him injured in, so we didn't have him for the run-in for top four? I mean, there are certain specific things. This thing with Willian 
is going to be Arteta's thing we remember if this doesn't work out. Because, look, I'm not trying to paint William as the worst player that ever played, but we have better players, more important players. I, I, I said this on the Instant Reaction Pod. I think sometimes Arteta wants it to be calculus when it can be arithmetic. Play the good players, put them in their natural position, and let them be better than the worst team. Does that work? And, and th- to be fair to Arteta, when he has to go up against City and Chelsea in the FA Cup final, and he has to figure out calculus because the talent is lesser, okay, do your thing. But when you have the better talent, it's not calculus anymore. Put your good players out there and let them win. To your point, Tim, Neymar plays in Mbappe. The talent wins out. They win the game 3-2 even though they're outplayed. But their good players do what they need to do. We bring on Aubameyang and Pepe, and Aubameyang puts in Pepe, and Pepe scores the goal. Clive, let's try to get to a couple of the moments in the game, though, before we go back to hand-wringing about all the uh, global issues. A few things. Saka, um, our best player in some ways at the start of the game, the player who had the bravery to to really run in behind, the, the pace and the athleticism to run in behind to cause them problems, didn't have the composure in front of goal, didn't have the support with him, to have another option, to be fair. But there was one time when he's in and he has options. He played a pretty bad cross. Do you have any concerns right now with with where he's at in his development in that final third, either the delivery to a teammate or the finishing? Um, you know, you think maybe it's just a little rust. He just hasn't played much recently. What do you think is the situation with Saka in terms of getting that end product back on the right track? Yeah, he's just lost them playing with him, hasn't he? Um, he's been there for a while. But given what we, what he had to do last year to, to really pull us out of a really dark period was was massive. So um, I can tell you, those yeah, chirping I, birds in the background are putting me in a much calmer state, though. It's, it's soothing, yeah, I, soothing me. I, I love it. I wasn't sure if it was me or you. It must be me. Must be <laughs> so, um, and so, yeah, it's it's. It's it's just where where he is right now. He, he I actually think he was not a bad finisher actually, but he's now starting to think about it. You, you can see it. He he pulled a couple near post, and he really tried to open his body out last night and go far post and just towed it, much like our centre forward. And so yeah, so I almost want to stay away from him, you know, because he's one of the untouchables. He's one of the future players, and and he's going through a period at the moment where he absolutely carries our dreams and then we look at him and we hope he can come through you know and i watch other people trundling behind him after he's broken through for about the fifth time and i look at the middle part of the screen and i think well where are you because if he gets in there where where are you going to be where where's his help where is his help you know it normally would be a barrier wouldn't it Right, so where is his help? And I think we got to focus on that, really. I, I think positionally, he seems to settle in on that right-hand side. There is a big discussion about whether he should be left back or I don't think we're going to go to win-backs anymore, but, um, or, or left forward, maybe getting on his left foot on the left-hand side to simplify things from a little bit. Um, there is that discussion. I think we have to make sure we support him. And I saw for the first time last night, you know, I'm looking at players closely. I saw a bit of frustration from him with some of the service he was getting. There was a couple boot outs from holding. We just booed it out over his head, trying to switch play. And he could he could sense he had his man on toast and he wanted to get in and he wasn't getting it. Mm. And he wasn't getting the quality of service. And that's the sort of stuff that bothers me. Because there's a core of six or seven players that we all could name that we really want to make sure they're happy because we know they're the future core of the team. And he's one of them. When I see him cheesed off, 
because he's getting rubbish being thrown at him, at his neck. Control that, mate. Do you know what I mean? And I don't like that. I don't. I don't like that. That worries me. And I don't want him to start losing the un- unbelievable attitude that he's shown from the first minute he's coming to the team. And so, yeah, it's where he is at it. And let's make sure we get people around him that play his rhythm, play his way. And you know, get him around Martelli or Smith Rowe when they're when they're close to each other. It all looks and feels nice. They're on the same wavelength. And he was a little bit isolated last night. I wonder if the plan was to keep him isolated on one on ones and and crowd one side, which could have been part of the plan. But in the end, he's not scoring, and people are starting to notice his his lack of finishing. And it looks as though he's starting to think about it too, which is a bit of a concern. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not worried about him. I just think. He's so important to us that we don't have the luxury of saying, oh, he'll get there. He's the guy we need scoring those chances because he was the only one getting into those positions. So it can be true that I I love him and think he's got all the talent in the world and also that we need him to put those chances away and, and start to get it right in the final third because we're relying on him. Um, you know, and seeing Pepe come on and do what he isn't quite ready to do in his career yet, you know, you think, why can't both of them play? But We've kind of covered that, I guess. Uh, Clive, I'll stick with you for one more question. Can you describe for me the emotion of watching Lacazette bear down on goal <laughs> and, and the, seeing the, the energy he's expending, knowing what's coming, seeing his body shape as he approaches what I can only describe as... Uh, you know how I sometimes said you don't need two refrigerators when referring to a goalkeeper? I think they may have actually had a refrigerator in goal uh, for Slavia Prague. How do you feel thinking back on that... that What's sure to be iconic Lacazette moment? <laughs> yeah, I watched it today. I did watch it again, and I watched it, and I thought, well, let's see what happens here. And he's running through. He's looking around for support. He's like someone who breaks the line in rugby. He said, can someone come and get this off me? Mm. Can a winger come up and take it and, and take it to a dry line? He has to look around for support and thinks, okay, I'm on my own. This is this is foreign for me. I'm on my own, the tip of the arrow going in on goal. I tried to see if he decelerated and, you know, messed up his shot or towed his shot. Yes, he didn't. He he calmed down then accelerated into his shot and he just got the contact wrong. But, you know, we're all, we're all main watchers. Well, I, I just look at him and, well, I look at not just him and this is a broader problem. I, I know you don't like this stuff, Elliot. The, the us missing chances tr- and not beating Slavia Prague? Correct. I do not like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's more... It's more our ability to deal with high-pressure moments. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. We'll get on to that when we talk about the goal we conceded. Yeah, it's just that ability. And we all know it. We can see it. We can all feel it. Did anyone feel super confident as he went through? You're lying to me if you did. You were hoping he was going to score. And there's something about us when when we're at the highest moments of pressure where we lose ourselves. And it's not just about chances. It's about passing options, build-up options, bravery to show your boots. This is the stuff that we were doing. And this is probably why I'm a little bit more agitated. It's more because we've gone away from what the foundations that Arteta was building. Some of that may be player-related, you know, injuries, etc. But you're, you're trying to develop a way of playing, a pattern play, a way of progressing, a way of build-up. And it's gone. And it's gone because the stakes, in my opinion, you guys tell me if you agree, the stakes have become higher. So we've inverted into ourselves. We've internalized. We've said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not playing that part. And we start to go backwards again. 
from moments of pressure in front of goal, one-on-ones, too much time to think. We had two of those, blue and both. Snapchat, loads of crosses, people hiding behind people, not flashing in front. Not just Lacazette, other people on crosses. I hope someone else is going to take responsibility. That's the stuff that's holding us back from the next level. And you're at the big club where that is seen as a, a given, and you're not. You're not really giving that. And you're looking for someone else to do it at the moment. And and so, yeah, Lacazette, you missed your moment. That happens in football. But it's more the underlying feeling of what we all felt as he was going through. Would we take this chance? Mm. And I don't think we all felt that he would. And in the interest of fairness, uh, Tim, you'll probably remember this because you're a living computer. There was a game recently where Aubameyang was Aubameyang. in. Yeah. What, yeah, what was it? Exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, I can't actually was remember. It was, it was at the Empress. Yeah, it, it was at the same end um, yeah. as well. But yeah, yeah, he he missed. And, and he gave you the same feeling going through that he was never going to do it. A- actually, I do think those one-on-ones are often missed, like when strikers have stacks and stacks of time to think about it. And um, yeah, I, I I guess like... <laughs> I don't know if Not it's a Theo good Walcott, analog, man. Not, but... Theo Walcott against Udinese, <laughs> what? Champions League qualifier. My goodness, do you remember that racing in? Cool as you Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. But I, I saw him miss a few of those. There was yeah. one against QPR <laughs> some years ago that was absolutely dreadful. The the one where I had confidence and I was right behind it was Martinelli against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that but, was the that was the comparison goal, wasn't it, Tim? Exactly yeah, yeah. that comparison goal. Sorry. Where the second he took that, I was like, this is going in. Like like you, you can just tell from a player's <laughs> player's body language. But one of the things with lack of and so I Weirdly, like I'm not actually that angry with with Lacazette for missing that chance because I really do think like missed chances happen and they happen quite a lot, and it's more like yep, just keep getting those chances. But I I did watch it back today and watch where the right winger is when Lacazette picks up the ball compared to where the right winger <laughs> ends up. Like he's about he's out on the touchline and about ten yards behind Lacazette and he catches him, and um. Yeah, he 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 looked he looked like he'd been on the mezes. Like I said, he looked like um, t- Clive may know it. There's a, there's a really really nice Turkish restaurant on Blackstock Road called Yildiz, yeah, um, opposite the King's Head Pub, where I yep. I go. Me and my I've mates go. First home game, last home game, home game before Christmas. We always go in there and have like a few bottles of Efes, lots of lovely bread and hummus and grilled meat and you know basically like roll home and he alex lacazette kind of looked like he'd he'd been in yieldis before the game mm. when he, he, all that was missing was him like cracking out a napkin and mopping his brow as, as I, 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 I think i think this is going to a dark place and i'm going to intervene at this point um let, let, let me say this uh i still want to talk more about what's going on with Aubameyang and and Arteta, if anything. I want to talk more about the lateness of the substitutions. We're going to have to get to Thomas Party, I, I think, and Cedric as well. Um, but, you know those chirping birds, Clive, that that yes. we were hearing? Well, I, I, I think, you know, look, chirping birds make you think of spring. Spring makes you think of spring cleaning. Spring cleaning makes me think of my privates. So, there is no better time to buy a Manscaped product than right now. For goodness sake, well, this can all end. All you have to do is just go to manscaped.com and put in promo code Arsenal Vision, and all this ends. It can all be over. You don't have to hear any more of these. If 100% of the listeners go to manscaped.com and use promo code Arsenal Vision and save 20% and get free shipping, then this is done. There'll be no one left to go there. 
And you will have solved this problem for Clive. For goodness sake, do if not for yourself, do it for Clive. And what do you get? You get the weed whacker. Nose hair, ear hair. You don't have to worry if it's there. Because it's got a 9,000 RPM dual blade motor, one of those round rotary things, just stick it in there and it's all gone. We already know about the lawnmower 3.0. It's battery operated, it's wet, dry. I was in the shower yesterday and used it. It was a blast right before the live stream. I said, you know what? Why not clean up down there just in case accidentally the camera points lower and all my clothes fall off? At least I won't embarrass myself, or at least the, the hirsuteness of that area won't embarrass myself. The, the point about this is you need to do it. You need to do it because, frankly, you can save Clive from any more of this. So go to manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off of free shipping. <clears throat> you can get the weed whacker, you can get the lawnmower, you can get their hygiene products. They've got all kinds of discounts for you if you would just go and do it. This pandemic is going to end eventually. We need it to end. This live event we're planning, I hope it comes off when we get together and we all drop our, our, our pants together. That is not what the live event is, by the way. I promise you. The live event is not that. Don't worry about that. But anyway, go there. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off for shipping. Go there and do it, please, for Clive's sake. Clive, is that enough? Yeah, that's more than enough. More than enough? Our, let's get on. Let's get on to the other traumas in our club. Fair Please. enough. I, I I thought that was a nice, short, succinct uh, succinct promotion, but, you know, to each their own. Okay, well, um, Tim, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, it's hard for me because I, I'm always reluctant to want to criticize Thomas Party because I have a little previous with not having been totally on board with the transfer, and again, not totally for reasons of his quality, actually. These were squad-building principles, but nobody, nobody seemed to get that. <laughs> and my mentions uh, reflected a lack of appreciation of my perspective. So I, I worry that if I'm ever critical of his performances, people will say that there's agenda there or, or priors there. I've actually been thrilled with his talent, but I think he has been a little uneven for us. And I think more recently, it's been more of a concern. But this wasn't uneven. This was... This was bad. This was, consistent. This was weird. Consistently <laughs> bad. Do you have any explanation for sort of what happened? I mean, it, it was just one of those games where nothing was really going right for him. There was one beautiful moment, actually, where he attacked the box. He drove forward, and he got to the edge of the box, and he looks around, and he's like, what if I just kick it to Slavia Prague back in midfield? Like, it was the weirdest game for him. Yeah, and, and it's it's kind of weird for me as well, right? Because I don't know the player well enough. Um, so I, I don't really watch uh, La Liga, so I didn't really see much of him at Atletico. Um, I'm pretty certain I've never seen him play for Ghana. So I, you know, my, I, I don't really have uh, much of a perspective on this player other than what he's produced for Arsenal. What he's produced for Arsenal, uh, and I, I said this to you on Twitter uh, during the game, he, he just reminds me of Abu Dhabi in that he is capable of some really brilliant things and some really bizarre things and often in the same move like he's got that lovely term where he can beat two or three players and you know with a like a movement of his hips just just leave people for dead and then just spoons the ball out of play like and and also even the way he strikes the ball actually like he always uses the side of his foot he never uses laces um it's very very drb like but anyway it, it, you know so I, I've gone on trust uh, that people that have seen this player a lot more than I have um, talk up his qualities and, and therefore I, I have to believe he has those qualities. But based purely on what we've seen of him in an Arsenal shirt, I, I think there's a there's a group of games you can almost discount for fitness reasons. We don't know how much those things are still troubling him. 
um, including like ev- all the other soft factors you have to throw in um, a transfer that went through on transfer deadline day. So he didn't have even the short preseason we had. He didn't have with the team. Um, Arsenal is a pretty chaotic team and club at the moment that he's come into during a pandemic. Like, it, you know, the, the, the conditions for moving from a club where you've been um, a regular player and where you've probably been quite comfortable, like that it, it's difficult to imagine more instability almost than that possibly with the exception of Edu um, himself actually when he came to Arsenal um, it's difficult to imagine like uh, a a weirder set of circumstances a more unsettling set of circumstances in which to move clubs so you know I I definitely still am prepared to cut him plenty of slack what I will say and I use this word on the instant reaction pod. I think we've come to the stage now where his first season is basically a write-off, and that's um, that doesn't really have to be anyone's fault. Um, but I do think it's uh, well, it's not a fact; it's my opinion. But it, it's an opinion I, I hold pretty firmly, and don't think that many people would disagree with. And and you know, look, going back to our unpopular conversation when we signed him, when you sign a 27-year-old on like a four-year deal. You need every year of that deal um, to work for you. And we are one year further down that deal and it hasn't really worked yet. Um, and, and you know, I'm not saying that that's the end of the world or anything, even if, you know, if we still get three good years out of him, that's still good. That's still fine. He is not on death's door age wise or anything like that. It, it's just there is basically very little resale value in this player and that means it really has to work it has to be a pretty sure thing when you do that so it 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 has been a disappointing season in in many ways for him i i agree with you i think this is the only time where i think he was just plain bad i think in every game there has been at least a flash or a couple of flashes where you thought yeah this this is a this is a hell of a player and i can see that Mm. um but this was the first time you know, and and look, he got substituted, and not for fitness reasons, I don't think, and I think that says um, quite a lot as well. So I, I don't know exactly why he had a bad day at the office. I don't know how much his fitness is still troubling him or everything else, but I think it's fair to cut him some slack based on all of those, uh, both soft factors and maybe soft tissue factors. And and look, maybe some of it is style, right? They're a pressy team that plays a high line. There wasn't a lot of space to operate. You know, our passing game just has been off period lately um and we've been a lot more direct a lot more long ball i think leno's been bad with his distribution i think our our passing game has been off and maybe it's the fact that he was trying a higher degree of difficulty stuff or trying to create openings to play him behind i mean the problem for him is when you look up and the only guy who can run him behind is is saka it gives you fewer options i think it's the point that i want this guy bossing midfields regularly bossing midfields. This is my area. This is my zone. I'm here to dominate this area of the pitch. And it hasn't quite been like that. And maybe that's expecting too much. Um, you know, and, and I, I I would say this. This is the, the best way I can put it. He hasn't been as great as I think he can be. But Thomas Party is not the problem with Arsenal. We do not need to pull our hair yeah. out about that. Next yeah. season, he we're not going to be sitting here going, oh, if only we had someone other than Thomas Party. It's the other pieces yeah. that need to be fixed. So I'm not worried about that. Uh, one area where I am a slightly more worried, though, Clive, is uh, Cedric having to deputize for Tierney. Um, this is not the greatest opposition he will face. And I think in his first challenge to replace Tierney, uh, he certainly did not stand up to be counted and say, I am the guy to do it. So I don't think he had a great night to begin with. 
But what happens for their goal, now you know, Clive, as you always say, I don't like to go to mentality. I can't go anywhere other than mentality with this in sense that, look, more talented players don't get in that situation. But we get a 1-0 lead at home to Slavia Prague on a night when we should have done way more, and we looked terrified. Cedric gets that ball with so much room that it's hard to see another player on the screen. He decides to fizz the ball back to Gabriel, who even still can probably control it and kick it long, but instead his touch is five yards from him, and he boots it out. We then conspire to give away a corner. We then, Leno kind of chocolate wrists it onto the the post. That's another moment. And then we concede from the corner. It is a cluster of bad play where none of the things we had to do were even particularly technically skillful. We just didn't execute the basics. And when you don't execute the basics, some of that is talent, but a lot of that is mentality. So I, I am giving you free reign here if you want to criticize uh, mentality, because I think in this instance, it's hard to get away from. Yeah, it's just intelligence, really. Um, it's just game intelligence, game management. So we have a situation, when, and Tim posted a picture last night that during the podcast, which made me, made me lose my voice, right? Because it was so obvious what was needed to happen. You've got a situation where you've got three defenders spread wide and holding on the right side, you know, with Pedrin higher up um, and basically. Gabriel in behind, and Gabriel's trying to get in behind Cedric as he's progressing up the field. You're rocking round, which your back four should do when your left side's about to progress. So there's, I think we've got was it 90 second minute or something like that, 91 and change, and you've got your three sprinters on forwards, all nice and fresh, and we've already got in behind them once, and you're you're coming up on on your wrong foot. All you have to do is fade the ball over the top and get in behind it, and then say, right, that's 93 minutes, 94 minutes, thank you very much, shake hands, go home, get an orange. Right, so that's all you need to do. But no, I'll tell you what I'll do, because I don't really fancy using my left foot, although I can use it when I'm under pressure in the final third. I can use it, no problem. He set up goals with his left foot. But he doesn't like using his left foot when he's having to play a straight pass. He doesn't like that. But he had enough time to quiff it onto his right foot and chip it down the line. Right, chip it into forwards, just turn them around. What do they want to do? They've just conceded. All they want to do is keep you in your half and see what happens. That's that's all they want. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be chasing after three substitutes that have just come on, sprinty forwards, our quickest forwards. They don't want that. What does Cedric do? He turns back and passes the ball to Gabriel. Now, He's not really passing the ball to him. He's passing responsibility to Gabriel to clear to clear his lines. Do you remember the goal at, was it Villa away? Was it the first two minutes? Was it mm. Villa away when he knocked it off, they nipped in and crossed it and holding was off his man goal? Yeah. There was a disconnect there then. So learn. Somebody tell him, learn. Somebody shout to him, line. Right, so he checks in, back to Gabriel. And I've, I'm trying to watch that thing. I haven't seen the clip clearly. I don't know if it's too hard or too soft. I'm not quite sure. But it wasn't... Gabriel had to take a touch, and it wasn't a good touch. We get pressed off the ball, because they now trap us into the corner. We get pressed off the ball, they get the shot. That shot was fantastic, by the way. You look at that shot, that Leno pushing to the post. That's a good save. Look at the flight of the ball. It's not spinning. That is a, that's a bullet. He saves it. The camera flashes to Leno's face. You're thinking, we're in trouble here. We are in trouble. Now, on the goal, what happens? You have, you have your zone. You have your front zone which was Aubameyang, you have Gabriel, 
you have Holding, you have Shaka. So they're your four boys on the line, six yards line. That's your zone. It's part zone, part man-to-man. And you have your other players trying to block off runners and go with runners. And that's how you make sure they're distressed before they arrive into the into the area. So the ball comes over. It clears Aubameyang and Gabriel just. Holding's frozen. And there's a gap between Holding and Shaka. Their runner from the edge of the area goes right into that big gap. Shaka needed to close that gap. He needed to close that gap and attack the ball. He doesn't take responsibility. He's frozen. Pepe comes all the way back in to that gap and just throws out a knee. And guess who's on the back post getting ragdolled and second in the race? It was Cedric, the guy that caused his problem in the first place. Now, that's poor. There's no leadership, no one attacking the ball that should be attacking the ball in those, in those four. It should be Shaka for me, but hey, look, sometimes it happens. Holding was caught. He didn't really attack it. And this comes back to our mentality. This comes back to, can we hold out for two minutes? Can we attack that ball with everything we've got? Can we affect runners strongly? And can we not be second in races on the back post? No to all of that. And that's why we can see. Then we look at each other. Arteta said something really clearly. He said when Shaka came off the pitch and he said he complained about Cedric not clearing the ball. And Arteta said it. He said, I wish you had told him that when he had the ball. Mm. And that is the problem. And that's why we we keep buying David Luiz's and players like that. Because we've got nobody holding each other to account on the pitch. Mm. And that is a that's why we're in this state of having to buy these players to hold other players' hands. Right? But then we buy Cedric or nick him or take him on a free for just this moment. If a twenty two year old kid does that or a nineteen year old kid does that, I'm I'm all right with it, you know that? I'm yeah. really all right yeah. with it because he needs to learn it. But not 29-year-old, I've won the Euros. Cedric just got back in the Portugal squad. No, 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 no. That mm. isn't right. That isn't right. And you need to take responsibility there. And hopefully one day we'll finally learn some lessons. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't hold your breath. Uh, that is some fantastic analysis though, Clive. And I, I uh, enjoyed it and agree with it. Even if I didn't enjoy what, the events that that caused you to come up with it. Um, so Tim, I think there's, there's two pieces here still to, to dig into a little bit and they relate to one another Let's start with the actual timing of the substitutions and the way that works. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that Martinelli is the first sub and Aubameyang and Pepe are not is pointed. Martinelli mm-hmm. hasn't had much of a role. He's been out in the cold a bit. He's gotten like, what, he got two minutes in his last appearance? Is that right? Like 88th minute or something? Yep. Um, and he comes on. And Aubameyang and Pepe have to wait till 77 minutes. Now, look. If you want to teach lessons, teach lessons. But if you want to teach lessons at the expense of your Europa League future, like you're playing with your own career, be my guest. I I can't... The, so here's the problem, right? I can't... I don't know what's going on behind the scenes at the club. I'm leaning into narrative and, and I'm leaning into conspiracy theory at some level. But I can't logically explain a reason why you would wait till the 77th minute to have taken Lacazette off to bring on Aubameyang and why you'd wait to get Pepe on. Now, I would have moved Saka to left back and brought Pepe on for him and made that switch. It's neither here nor there. Can you explain the lateness of the substitutions and the unwillingness to change it as as something other than a, a pointed teaching moment to the players, I, I mean, do you think that that Arteta had this planned, and this was what he wanted to do strategically and tactically, or that there is 
there is more behind it. Because it's hard for me to believe the plan is to be in that situation against Slavia Prague and not change it till the 77th minute. Yeah, I, I find it difficult to believe anything other than it was pointed as well. Um, when you leave your, and, and it does happen from time to time, teams might leave like their biggest player, their top scorer, captain, all of the above on the bench. When the game is not going for you, they are the first players off. Um, you know, even when Wenger did it to Alexis at Anfield, it was it was half time. Um, he came on like it is the first place you go and you usually go there quite early, like 61, 62 minutes. If it's still nil nil, you go, right, OK, that's enough. This guy was coming on because why the hell wouldn't he? Because he usually plays 90 minutes. So why would I worry about giving him 29 minutes as opposed to 12? So, yes, I, I do feel it was pointed. And, I, and the reason I think it was pointed is like you, Elliot, I, I I don't want to believe it was. And in many ways, that's the easy thing to believe. But I, I just can't think of another reason for it. I, I just can't. Like, I can't. I mean, I guess you'd say he bought Pepe on at the same time. And does he have, you know, like, does he have a problem with Pepe? Um, I mean, possibly, but I don't think on a, like a person. I think so, level. yeah. No, not, no. I just think he doesn't, he yeah. doesn't love the player. Yeah. 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 But I, he doesn't have a problem, I don't think, with Aubameyang, the player. We're talking about something personal here, I think. So, you know, and, and maybe those two things add up to the same thing. But, um, you know, the fact that they came on together maybe, um, you know, negates that narrative a bit. But, I, like, I just can't think of another good reason because, it, like, everyone saw that, like, there, it is not often that football fans universally agree about something that is, that's, you know, quite subjective like we all see the game very differently we see things very differently um and that really comes out it, but i i just can't think of many and and obviously like coaches know more than fans and blah 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 but like when you've got like everybody saying what like what what's going on like why have we got to 70 minutes and this hasn't happened why have we got to 75 minutes it's and like giving five someone... substitutions tim five. yeah 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 <laughs> But Tim, what, what what do you think he's trying to? What do you think he's trying to do here? What, what, what Good question. Great to teach question. Him? I wish I'd asked it because I beat the <laughs> shit out of me. Well, I want to know what he's trying to teach him. You know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I've got a thought process, but I, I want to hear what you think, really. So. Well, yeah, because so I, my suspicion is that he didn't want to use him at all. Um, okay, so if we, I, I think he wanted to do maybe what he did against Tottenham and not bring him on at all. And had Arsenal been even 1-0 up after 78 minutes, I believe Aubameyang wouldn't have come on. I think it just it came to such um, a critical mass, like a moment of critical mass that he just absolutely had to. And like 78 minutes is kind of that sweet spot where you're not bringing them on in like the 88th minute and taking the piss out of them. But like that's about as late as you can leave a substitution like that, I think, um, without going absolutely all out. As for what he's trying to teach him, I don't know. Like I, I'd suggest that, you know, maybe Aubameyang hasn't reacted well to, to being dropped for the North London derby. Maybe there's a frostiness there that's developed on the training ground. I'd, you know, I don't really know. Maybe Aubameyang's been a total arsehole for the last three weeks. Like, I, I guess we don't know. But I mean, if he has and 
like have we gone back into the halfway house discipline of of Arsene Wenger because like if that's the case then surely you just leave him out like Arteta's done that before so yeah I, I don't really know I don't really know like even if I can wrap my head around why he picked that front four if he was expecting Slavia to be better at pressing and he wanted a bit more security like to leave it that long with the game state as it was just with Arsenal needing a goal like even like fuck the game state like Arsenal needed a goal and they've got a goal scorer that they're paying uh you know what 300 grand a week to score goals like whatever like about the tactical nuances of this particular game Arsenal needed a goal and he still didn't put him on which you know which is just weird and it's very difficult to think of a rationale for it like last season Aubameyang played every minute pretty much of, of every game at the beginning of this season he did as well like Aubameyang was never rotated or substituted until recently so I mean I guess something's happened there and he is trying to teach him something um you know maybe about the non-negotiables or whatever um but yeah I, I find it very difficult to to find like a, a tactical explanation for not bringing him on earlier and I look, there are going to be people screaming, Aubameyang hasn't been great. What's wrong with not using him? And I want to be clear about something. There are players where you take form into consideration. Hector Bellerin. Hector Bellerin is a decent fullback who's been going through a rough period. And when that happens, you got to swap him out and play someone else. Okay? That's fine. If Granite Shack is not playing great and you want to bring in Ceballos or Ceballos isn't playing great and you want to bring, in, bring, bring back Granite Shack, again, fine. I really believe there have to be guys who get played even if their form is bad. And your 300,000 pound a week, 31-year-old golden boot winner is that guy. He may not be playing great. You just play him. You just play him and he gets you 20 league goals a season. He gets you 25 goals in all comps a season. You just play him. You just play him. That's the, that's the thing. Alexander Lacazette is not as good as Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You can talk to me about tactics. You can talk to me about whatever you want. Goals win games, and you got the guy who's a better goal scorer. And to your point, Tim, your future is in doubt. you got to get past Slavia Prague. You've got to. You've got a chance at the Champions League here. We're second favorites to win this tournament right now by the odds. Not saying that's what's going to happen, but go try to win this tournament. You are nil-nil with Slavia Prague in the home leg, and your golden boot winner who won you the FA Cup, who dragged you through the Benfica tie, who is one of the elite goal scorers in all of Europe over the last five seasons, is sitting on your bench. It's too smart by half. Either you're doing discipline at the expense of your team, or you are trusting your own tactics and your own ego over the talent of the guy on your bench. And that's where I have a problem with it. Because it becomes about Arteta more than about Arsenal. Arsenal are what matter. Not Aubameyang, not Arteta, not Pepe, not Willian. Arsenal and the fans and delivering for us on the pitch. And at the point that you're leaving your golden boot winning, five-season running, elite goal-scoring, record contract signing striker on the bench 77 minutes into the, into the first leg of the tie at nil-nil, you are putting yourself and your lessons and your culture and your or your tactics above the club. It's too complicated. It's calculus when it should be arithmetic. Just play him. Just get him on the pitch. And that doesn't mean he'll fix it, and it doesn't mean he'll, he'll work his magic. I mean, I realize he's involved in the goal, but... There are some guys, Clive, and maybe you disagree with this. And this is, look, this is where I, I, want, I want to be clear. Different people have different thoughts about football. There are those of you listening who say culture matters. Once you sacrifice your culture, you're dead. And there's some people that say culture is not a thing and we talk about it too much. I don't know that I'm on either side of those extremes, but I'm definitely on more of the side of the extreme that you can get really into bad territory 
when you get too invested in the culture conversation. When you give yeah, a guy so, 300,000 pounds a week, Clive, you you can't just say, now you have to be a good little soldier and behave like everybody else or I'm going to bench you. You are imbuing that player with a tremendous amount of power in your club when you give them that contract. And so you got to make it work. The player needs to be professional, but it's a two-way street. you got to make it work. And the Tuesday Club, i got to be honest, the Tuesday Club's a funny podcast and I don't always agree with it, but they're pretty old school, so I expect them to take sort of an old school position. They really came out against Arteta going public with that discipline stuff from the Derby with Aubameyang, which surprised me. I didn't really think it was that big a deal. I thought Tempest in a teapot. But now we're down, you know, a few games down the road, and he's not coming on until the 77th minute, Clive, and it's starting to feel like a thing. So I know you believe in culture. I do maybe a little less. But in this case, is he is he putting his ideas ahead of the, the thriving of the club? Yes, I do believe a culture is important in any environment, working, sporting. I do believe it's important and people follow those rules and, and the ways of of behaving. So it's just it's just it's just life. It's sport. It happens everywhere, every single sport, every single workplace. Right. So it's just where it's the emphasis by which you put upon it. Right. So let's just take it back slightly. Right. So we spoke last night, didn't we, about um Emery coming in, what his brief was. I previously called him the cleaner, but actually I think Arteta is now the cleaner. I think he's the guy that's been given the full support by the club. He's the guy that's allowed to choose which players come. Emery wasn't given that. He was told who to who's go, who's going to come. Right? He was told who he couldn't loan certain people or buy certain people. So he wasn't supported in the same way. He was just someone to get us back in Champions League. Once he couldn't, he is done. Arteta's been given everything. He has been given full autonomy, absolutely everything. So he is the project, right? So he is now implementing what he wants to do. He is so massively intense. But every now and again, in, in not everyone can deal with that. Every now and again, somebody might need, within your workplace or within your group, someone might need an arm around the shoulder. It's like he's, he's so focused on being the best he can be his intensity may not suit everybody in the group. His way of working may not suit everybody in the week. And you can say, well, actually, Clive, you've, told me, you've been talking about our weak mentality. You've been talking about this for years. When someone comes in and tries to implement it, you can't critique him. And I do feel a little bit like that. I sort of make Mark at work today, and we had the same conversation. Emery tried, wasn't supported. He tried to be tough, had to soften, play certain players. As soon as he did, he was dead, mate. Dressing room owned him. He was gone. Room got rid of him. See you later. Arteta doesn't want to be a victim. He wants to hold it. However, you need certain people to help you deliver. And Abamyang falls into that category. Not only that, you have given him the contract, not the previous manager. You have signed him up. That means you've told him he's special. You've told him he's your captain. If you want to critique him because he was late for a game, Absolutely fine. Do you need to throw him under the bus publicly? I'm not sure. There were two turning points for me. The Pepe Leeds thing I didn't like. And the Bamyang thing. I thought, you know what? He must, again, my default was to defend. You, he must have been late multiple times. This must be something he felt he had to do. Because previously he's always supported But he didn't have Australia. to go public with it. He could have just said, have to go public. he could have just said, that, don't you know, I, I picked the players that I thought were right for the game. I mean, he did he not have, have to go that. public with it. He didn't have to go public, but he chose to. So what was, what was he expecting the outcome to be? 
So we had a great game. We all loved that game. We all trotted off into the moonlight. Haven't won a game since, by the way. We all trotted off into the moonlight. And um, and I'm sitting there looking at our striker with a hairdo and going through a midlife, looking sad. And I'm wondering, what? What's going on here? How have we done this to ourselves? Not only are we doing things to ourselves on the pitch, we're doing things to ourselves off the pitch. On that Spurs game, I've turned up, can't wait for it. Then that happens. We've been talking about this guy ever since. He was just developing into our centre forward and doing really well at it. And the team was developing around him. And it's been taken away. I think we lost some playing identity. And it feels unnecessary to me. It feels unnecessary. Although, Elliot, there is another side to this. We need to fix our DNA in the club. And this guy seems to be given the keys to do it. I don't like it. I don't like it when I see some things on the pitch. But I can't sit there and say this is not... There's nothing be. I can't sit here and say that our culture's perfect. Put it that way. I, I can't. It's not. We need to change. We need to raise our standards. It feels painful as we're going through that process at the moment and when we're watching the guy that we have invested in being played out of position, not supported technically and not supported emotionally, it feels like to me, which is a bit of a shame, but I hope we're wrong. We get ourselves twisted up in conspiracy theories, but I just hope we're wrong and, and you can start scoring again. This whole thing settles down. Yeah, I, I, I hope you're right. <clears throat> Look, make no mistake, if this is Chelsea or even a lot of American sporting clubs, cl- club de sport, There'd be an owner on the phone with the coach going, hey, I couldn't help but notice that 240 million pounds worth of talent came on in the 77th minute last night when you factor in their transfer fees and their wages. You know, people say Stan Kroenke needs to spend some effing money. Would you get these guys more money? I gave you the money. I gave you 300 grand a week for Aubameyang. He can't get on before the 77th minute and one of our most important fixtures of the season. I gave you 72 million pounds to go sign Pepe. And again, that's not Arteta's watch, but it's still an asset that the club has. I gave you 30 million pounds for a teenage wonder kid center back. You wouldn't give him a minute. You sent him away. I mean, you make these decisions with assets and eventually the person who who has to write the checks is going to start getting pretty upset. I, I got news for you. Arteta can keep his job 10 seasons. It doesn't matter what the fans think. It really doesn't matter what the fans think. But it does matter what the owner thinks. And being cavalier with assets, that's a that's a quick way to get you know, a magnifying glass up to you. I just, I don't, I don't really understand it. And I, th- I think just keep it simple, Mikel. Keep it simple. Put the better players on the pitch. You know, I realize we don't have Messi and Ronaldo. I'm not trying to act like it's that. But, you know, the this idea that you can leave the good players out and, and get where you need to go with this squad is not right. It's not good enough for that. It's not Manchester City. <clears throat> you can't decide to leave Aguero on the bench because you can bring on Gabriel Jesus or, you know, Sterling and and De Bruyne and, you know, get Gundogan scoring 30 goals a season or whatever the heck he's up to. Tim, um, a couple things here. So firstly, you know, one of the things that I think has been an issue with Arteta too is just that, especially in the Champions League, we have halves and, and whole legs that we just let slip by. You know, mm-hmm. this, this is the thing that I think is becoming a bit of an issue for me is, you know, when you think about the way Klopp's teams come out you know, the way Sir Alex Ferguson's teams used to, to come out to start games, like on top of you, all over you, intensity immediately. You know, we have periods in the game where we just seem like we're content to kind of let the minutes drift by. And I, I think that that mm. ha- is also fed by the the substitution strategy, which seems to be, you know, slow and reactive. I, I don't know. I mean, do you feel that we're 
we're not that we don't attack these Europa League ties with the kind of ferocity that you need to to put them away. I mean, I, Arteta says we were happy with the tactics. You know, we felt we did what we needed to. But those were tactics to get a 1-0. And I think there should sort of be an attitude at home to Slavia Prague to go get a 3 or 4-0. I'm not saying you should go beat them 3 or 4-0 every year. But you know what I mean? Like, is there is there a bit of a complacency about the way we approach these these ties? Or, or is it a conservatism, perhaps? Yeah, I, I think it's more likely to be a conservatism, um, isn't it? It's it, it's almost kind of reminiscent of Mourinho's Spurs, like going one nil up and just stopping playing, or or just like like we seem deathly afraid of going two nil ahead. Um, like one nil was just absolutely objective. Because here's the thing, right? You watch teams with good attacks; they don't just create three perfect chances and say thank you very much. It's death by a thousand cuts. That's how you beat teams. You create loads of half chances, situations, things like that. Um, and, and we don't really do that. So what we do is we will create two or three big chances now, which is two or three more than we were creating a few months ago. And then we'll say, well, why didn't we win the game? Like we had like three big chances. And it's like, well, if you create three big chances, you'll I've got news for you. You'll probably score one goal. You might score two. If you're running really hot, like we were against Leeds, you might score all of them. But that's rare. Like usually you miss most chances, even when they're really good. So what the good teams do is they keep coming at you again and again and again. And, uh, you know, I, look, I'll, I'll give you an example. I know everyone loves loves it when I do this. So I went I went to the women's game on, on a Sunday. It's on the bingo card. And, uh, Viv- yeah, yeah, yeah. Vivian Miedema had like a horrible game. She missed like, I think she hit the woodwork three times um, and missed the one-on-one. Um, still scored two goals. So <laughs> like... But, you know, by her standards, horrible game in front of goal, but still scored twice because she just took a shitload of shots. That's how it works. Right. And and so whereas we like we miss that one big chance and go, oh, but we had this big chance. Why didn't we win? And um, and that that's just that's not really how how it works. And um, we, we seem to be af- afraid of that like volume and hemming teams in and building up and pressure. Like it, it kind of feels like, um, you know, we try and score the perfect goal and then when we score it, we stop. And, um, and, and I do think that that's an issue I've kind of always had, even, um, even when we were playing much better kind of January, February and probably large parts of March as well, where, you kind of look at us and think, okay, we are playing better, but I still have this sense that we want to score like the perfect goal rather than kind of really building up pressure on teams. But yeah, in in terms of um, whether it's conservatism, one of the things Arteta said in defense of his, um, his team selection, I think he said this before the game that he wanted to pick the team to get on top early. And I was kind of looking at it and I was thinking, really? That's that's who you're picking to get mm. on top of this early. But again, I try, I was like, okay, I won't judge till I've seen. And then I saw, and you know, those those first, I mean, the whole first half, like first 25 minutes. I mean, what was really striking me is that, um, like, sometimes back in the days when the Emirates was actually open for fans, I don't know if Clive ever experienced this. You could tell it was a bad game when you could hear the generators whirring inside the stadium <laughs> and and you'd like you'd get that yeah. sometimes you'd like think oh wow i can literally hear the electricity like running through the walls because it's so quiet and we're so crap and i don't know if it was just like because bt hadn't really sorted out their um 
their, their kind of uh, their canned noise or their fake crowd noise. But I could hear the generator whirring in the first half. And I'm not sure if that was just because I was kind of so bored by what I was watching that I noticed it or whether it was just because the commentators weren't talking very much because there wasn't much to say. But I had that real oh wow i can hear the electricity in the walls in the stadium again and it it was the absolute opposite of a fast start it was a really slow start and then we gradually start to get Saka in behind a few times and then all the things we've already spoken about a million times happened but i i i can't square that this is a team i picked to get on top early in the game if anything I think, um, you know, after the game, maybe Arteta could have got himself out of a little bit of jail, not jail, but mm-hmm. a little bit of the criticism by saying, well, actually, we what we wanted to do was be nice and secure, control the game, not let them get up ahead of steam. And then I was going to bring the cavalry on with like, you know, towards the end of the game. But but that's not what he said. And again, it's another circle I can't square, to be honest. Sitting on your hands at nil-nil. Against Slavia Prague in the home leg of your biggest tie of the season so far. Well, of course it is. But, um, you know, till the 77th minute, 70th, I guess, was was a Martinelli swap. 77th for, for Pepe and Aubameyang. It's, it's hard to explain. And I, you, look, you don't need the credibility with the fans to keep your job. But you do need a credibility with your bosses, right? With, now, Edu is not his boss, obviously. But with Vinay. And I, the players. Well, and the, yeah, that's a great point. The players probably more than anyone, Tim. And I think the problem you're going to have is... How do you go to management and say that the squad is flawed, I need resources to fix it? When management goes back to you and says, in your biggest game of the season last season, you didn't use the guy that you asked for resources to keep last summer. You didn't use the guy that I spent 72 million pounds acquiring. And again, that's not that's not Arteta. You didn't you know what I mean? How do you how do you keep your credibility when you know you you and, and again you then he could say, well, for culture reasons I had to do this, or if the tactics for that game were that, but how does the how does the club trust you with the resources if the way you're deploying them in the biggest moments doesn't reflect that that you've made the right decision. I don't know. I, I think yeah. that's a real challenge. And I agree with you about the players too because this is why I thought the Ozil thing was always a problem. Fans can think whatever they want. Players like star players. They look up to them. They admire them. You know, that that's the, there is a cult of personality in football, not just with fans, but with other players. And so I'm sure that there are players in the club that really like Aubameyang, and by all reports, he's actually very popular in the dressing room. Um, you know, that that's something to consider. <clears throat> and I, I still think that there may be, not scars, but, you know, you can only you can only get your team questioning you so many times, and I don't want to go back over the wage cut stuff during COVID and things like that, but there's, there's some bumpy road behind us that, you know, Arteta needs to make sure the, the players are really still trusting him and that his the, the club is trusting him. Now, again, this is halftime. We had the chances to win. Slavia Prague are bad. We could go batter them in Prague <clears throat> and then go on to face Unai Emery, who obviously has no chance to defeat the mighty Arsenal, and then be in the final. And then it's a one-off, probably against United, and, and you never know. So this can still be fine. I'm not trying to suggest all is lost. This was a tough night for me because I think decisions were made that are hard to square with with what's going on, I, I think you've nailed it there, Tim. I'll, uh, Clive, I'll let you sort of have the last word on this, but I think the the thing that's also hard is this is a club that needs to win today and needs to build for the future. Now, if you want to say winning today always trumps building for the future, I can live with that, but I don't think he picked a, a win today approach. But when it comes to the future, it's unambiguous. Lacazette is not the future of the club. Willian is not the future of the club. 
Aubameyang is because you made him that. Right? We're not selling Aubameyang. No one's buying 32-year-old Aubameyang on 300000 a week. So he's the future of the club. Martinelli, Pepe, Saka, those guys, you know, Nelson maybe even, you know, they're the future of the club. There's a future there. And so just from a purely long-term vision, from a short-term vision, I didn't understand the selection, but from a long-term vision, Lacazette and Willian shouldn't be getting prioritized over players who are much more important to where we want to go. So directionally, isn't there sort of a tension there between not only making a decision that didn't make a lot of sense in the moment, but doesn't make a lot of sense for where we're headed? Yeah, the word directionally is, is what's made people a little bit edgy, really. I think um, people... I recognise that I, I think he's a, a decent football coach. I think I, I've seen that on on the pitch. No question. Yep. The questions around man management are there, and some people, you know, and some of the things that have happened over the last year or so, you can't you can't get away from that debate. It's some of it's debatable, and some of the things he's been proven right on, and some of the things he's, I feel is getting wrong right now. There's different ways to manage different people, and he, and he just needs to to learn that, and I'm sure he will. Or maybe people have to learn his way, and he has to wait for his people to come in. But right now, he needs to realize he needs people. He, he does, and the direction is what I think people have lost a bit of confidence in. So when you see something go wrong from a results perspective, you then look at the process that we've done recently as on the podcast, and... And I, and I look at the pitch and I can't see the process that I could see even second half at West Ham. I can't see it. And so I'm looking around at the players that are not there. And I think, okay, well, you're not there. And someone else may be overcompensating and you're in the wrong position and you haven't been selected correctly. And there are too many things that are now being debated. And once you get that lack of clarity between the club and the fan base... That's when things start to get a little bit dodgy now. The club are rock solid pre-Christmas and things were as bad as I can remember. And I expect them to be rock solid now to the end of the season, no matter what happens, because the plan is in place in the summer and we need to execute on it. That plan is huge. Another club to have plans as well. And we need to execute our plan. And I think at that point, we'll know what sort of club we are what sort of, uh, we've lost what sort of team we are at the moment. We are talking earlier about making changes and what changes so drastically is the style by which we play when we make these changes. And it's too acute. It's, you know, there are too many key people that change us massively when they're not there. And that shows me that within the squad that there isn't, well, there's, there's a lack of balance in what he's doing at the moment, as Tim said earlier on. And I worry about the direction being losing clarity. That's the key thing. If the direction is good, the process is good, you'll get a little bit more fan serenity. At the moment, we feel edgy about everything. And I think that's I think the players look edgy because I think we all know this competition is very important because otherwise we're so reliant on the summer working and we're not confident about that. So collective nerves, fans, us lot, players it feels that way to me and mm. the high pressure moments told me that last night well look <clears throat> i i don't I, I think part of the problem you just run into is we had the the big win in the derby and the mood was high and then we lost at home to olympiacos we got three nil down to west ham and salvage a draw we got blown away by liverpool and we had what happened last night and all along the way on those four fixtures four games 
were some lineups and substitutions and performances and discipline and things that started to make you wonder what's going on here. And Arsene Wenger sort of famously said, when you lose one, you have to make sure you don't lose two. When you lose two, you have to absolutely ensure that it doesn't become three because then the mood in the club can shift and suddenly you're in crisis and you're on the back page of all the newspapers and the the players are agitated and the fans are, are yelling things from the stands. I think Arteta is fortunate to some extent not to have fans in the stands because I do think with some of his selection or his substitutions, there'd be some unpleasant shouting going on. And that's not a shot at the fans. It's just how it works. So yeah, I think he needs to, you know, pick some sensible lineups that reflect a trust in the really good players that go out and put in a really good performance. And, and you know, Tim, one last thing, last, last thing, we'll, we'll get out of here. You know, a mm. lot of, a lot of people say, well, what do you want him to do? Uh, you know, there's a meme that goes around. A lot of fans think coaching works like this. And it's a picture of a guy with a, video game remote in his hand control it physically controlling the players um yeah yeah like you know a lot of people say well he can't kick the ball in the net for Lacazette and he can't kick the ball up the pitch for Cedric and that's true but one of the reasons you pick the better players is more often than not they do do the right thing yeah. the reason you pick the players who are suited for the opposition is more often than not they exploit the vulnerability and when you pick the players who are less suited or less talented or both then more often than not they will miss the chance you know if you pick Yaya Sanogo no, you can't make him kick it in the net, but neither can he, you know? So like, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you how do you want to just sort of finish off thinking about this as a, a failure of the players who had the opportunity to make this tie a, a foregone conclusion versus the failure of the manager to put the right players in the right situation to really ensure that happened? Yeah, very much the latter, I think. And and it's not even always down to the, the actual quality of the players. So Lacazette scored goals this season. He's he's not he hasn't become a terrible footballer um because of this game. Like he has shown us he's not a terrible footballer. He's shown us he's not an elite footballer and pound for pound the signing probably just about hasn't worked out, even though he's been more or less a regular the whole time he's been here. So it's but I, I, I mean, I'd come back to the uh, the phrase that Clive used, know your players, um, know your players, know which ones do which things. Um, like I said, I, I think the attack, though unbalanced, has a kind of balance to it in terms of attributes. There are players who do quite definite things um, and therefore, and you should know that when you pick them. But, you know, like pick the players alongside them that will help them flourish as well. So Lacazette... What are Lacazette's flaws? He's he's a bit slow. He's a bit leggy, right? Don't put Willian next to him, <laughs> for God's sake. Um, you know, because you're just exacerbating the problem for him, and you're you're making him look worse. And you know, it's it's a bit like um, against Liverpool. Like, all right, you've put a Bamiang on the wing. What's a Bamiang's weakness? Uh, technically, not great. Doesn't hold on to the ball. Blah blah blah. Don't put him. Don't put Pepe on the other wing. When you've got a Bamiang, and you know on 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 the left, it's it's just these things I think are just quite simple. Like I don't think balancing that front line is actually that difficult because of how definite the attributes of the players are, and there is room for him to go horses for courses. Um, I mean, like against Leicester, right? He did use Willian, he used Lacazette, but he he also used uh, Pepe in that game, and so. That made the difference in the end. And it, yeah, uh, like with, with this particular lineup, I think everyone saw it before the game. That That's why it's frustrating. Uh, that's one of the many reasons it's frustrating. You look at that before the game and it's like, uh, I think I can already see or I can already guess what's going to happen here. And then it happens. And 
yeah. So, yes, he, and, and he did have another option at left back. He doesn't have to play Cedric there. You know, I said I think Saka should play there. I still think that. I, I'm not angry. Uh, weirdly, I'm not massively angry at Cedric for that mistake. I think it was like it was a bit boneheaded and stupid. But the goal doesn't come right bluntly. from it. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> you know, there's other things that have to go let, wrong. Let me put <laughs> let me put this bluntly. I don't think Cedric is a very good player. And I don't get angry at bad players for making errors any more than, you know, I get angry at a bear for shitting in the woods. Like, yeah, but come on, they could clean it up choices. at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, but, you know, bad or slightly below average players w- will do that. Um, and, and look, he's also like playing out of position as well. And yeah, you play a below average player. You, you could blame him more that, for the marking on the corner kick, right? Because that is yeah, his job. <laughs> yeah, like that is going to happen. That you know, he's yeah. he's just he's he's not and never really has been like a, a great footballer. So, um, yes, he will get nervous mm-hmm. on his left foot and probably justifiably so um, in some ways because, uh, like Clive said, like I, I think he can hit a stand-up first-time cross on his left foot, but yeah, passing in a straight line, he do- he doesn't really want to do that and. Yeah, it, it made him anxious, but that that was the position he was in, and we like we know that about him. We know that, and uh, and so I, I'm kind of slightly less angry, or not not less angry, but I'm just I'm not really surprised by it. Um, so you know, uh, the, there there are things there, and we've seen them before, and the manager doesn't really seem to have learned these lessons. And one of the reasons I was a bit more circumspect than you, Elliot, about the run post Christmas was I always just had, I always had the feeling that he would move away um, quickly. Like, so the back three, for example, I never thought he wanted that. And I always thought that was a temporary measure. I always thought he wanted to play four, two, three, one, but this kind of thing that, that worked a bit, um, with kind of three technical players behind Aubameyang. I, I still want two plus two, personally, but, you know, three creators and one striker, that, that's kind of all right. It worked. I never got the impression that was what he wanted to do. I never got the impression that playing Aubameyang up front was what he wanted to do, and I always had the impression he would move away from it quickly. Um, and he has, and uh, we're, we're seeing what's what's happening. Yeah, which is sort of hard to explain. Um, All right, look, we're over 90 minutes, so I'm not going to get into a Leno conversation, but that might be on the horizon too. One to keep an eye out for. Look, Thursday is our biggest game of the season now, again. It is going to be harder. They are going to be better. Everybody says this is a team that plays like Leeds. We didn't start the guy who had a hat trick against Leeds. We have to start him in the away leg. That doesn't mean we'll win it. doesn't mean he'll play great, but he has to play. Um, So... 7 p.m. kickoff on Sunday means no Aubameyang, no Pepe, no party. Don't play them. Just don't play them. Wrapped in cotton wool. No Saka. You want to use Lacazette there? Go for it. Start Martinelli, for goodness sake. Give Nelson a game. The league is dead. Sheffield United are bad. Just put whoever you need to out there. Don't use Granite Shaka. You have to win on Thursday. You could win 7-0 on Sunday, and if you lose on Thursday... It's, it gets really bleak really fast. So I think that is what's going to happen. So Sunday night, we'll have an instant reaction pod. Um, Monday, we'll have a full pod. 
We'll have some midweek uh, patron stuff next week and then probably do another live stream on Thursday and maybe a watch along that's in the offing, but I don't know if it's going to happen for next week, but we will see. In any event, just happy to share all this with you. Sometimes the conversations are easy and light. Sometimes they're fun uh, and and less light. Sometimes they're not fun and not light and not short, but you know, (laughs) they're always going to be here for you if you'll- They're never short. They're never short. That's right. You know what? Like, podcasts getting longer and longer and longer, though. I've got podcasts I listen to now. They're like two and a half hours. And I'm like, ah, we're a snip at 90 minutes. Um, okay. Let's leave it there. Pause, uh, pause on Twitter. Pause my pants, but not here. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter. Stroboto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. If you'd like to give us a five-star review, we'd absolutely love that. If you don't have the time or the interest then by all means, do not do that. The most important thing is that you're here and we love you. So uh, that's it. We love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Sheffield United Mill.